Don't get nervous, but I do have a mini pop quiz for you this morning. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you two phrases, and I want you to think in your mind where in the Bible these phrases are. Get the task? All right, here we go. First one. Good things come to those who wait. Okay, second one. God helps those who help themselves. I heard some smirks. I see some smiles. You all are on to me. It's a trick question. You will not find that on any page or paragraph or passage of the scriptures. They're not there. And yet, it's interesting that many of us have either said those things or at the very least thought them. Now, if we were talking about the philosophy of karma, those statements would fit right in. So you know as well as I do that our culture is very experiential. We base our life perspective so often on our external circumstances. So when things go our way, it's easier to see God's loving presence. When things don't go our way, we tend to think it's a consequence for something we have done, and we miss God's presence amidst it all. Where do we find that secure truth of God's presence? Is it in subjectivity, emotions, experiences, or objectivity? In order for us to discover that most secure truth of all, where only real security is found, God needed to come down. And when we try to filter God's presence through our experiences and emotion, it can be extremely hard to detect him. That's where Moses was. Here in Exodus 3, it's right after his 80th birthday. And Moses thought he knew what security was, but he would soon come to find out it's a far different concept. But here he is, 40 years after his life in Egypt had taken a turn for the worse. Now there was a time in Moses' life where he fantasized about rescuing God's people, Israel. Many of you know how this story ended up for him. He ended up murdering a slave driver and running for his life. But that was then. This was now. He was married. He was a dad. He had security in Midian. But then God needed to come down to show him what real security is all about. And I think you and I can relate to this. It's very easy to try to detect God's presence or think we can detect God's presence through our own experiences and emotion. It's so easy for us to think of security in a very subjective way. And we heard that take place in both the gospel and the second reading. Gospel reading, you have the disciples and other people thinking, oh, those people in Siloam, they must have done something horrible because that's why that tower fell on them and killed them. Again, circumstances dictating perspective. The second reading, 1 Corinthians 10. Kind of the opposite, but while it's inverted, it's still the same. The Corinthians thinking, well, yeah, we're doing things that the Bible and Paul says are wrong, but... There's no consequences. God seems to be okay with it. Spiritual complacency, right? It illustrates something about each and every one of us today. There is a tendency as human beings to see life through that karma-like prism. Where when things are going well, we think we're doing something right. And when things are going wrong, well, we must have messed something up. We set this standard by which if the external circumstances are there, then we have security, and when those circumstances fall through, we nosedive as the gravity of life weighs us down. And Moses would come to discover this too. So let's set the scene here, Exodus 3. 
Moses is doing his nine to five of shepherding. And he comes across this bush. Now, it's not an uncommon thing to see a bush scorched in the wilderness. What is uncommon is to see this bush burning minute after minute, no ash appearing on the ground. Of course, Moses is intrigued. This goes against all of his experiences, what he knows about the science of fire and the entity of a bush, and so he approaches it. And as he's looking at this phenomenon, then something even more unexpected happens. He hears this voice, and the voice says this, Moses, Moses. So that first layer of security, the law of nature, is broken through, because you know as well as I do, bushes don't talk, and voices don't just appear out of thin air. But God wasn't done breaking down so-called securities. He also is going to break down Moses' thought of spiritual security. He goes on to say this to Moses. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. So first, Moses witnessed something that went against physical security. Now, his whole idea of spiritual security is altered too. Just because of the glow of God's presence, that dry, dusty desert dirt had become the most valuable piece of property in the world. And that word holy jumped out at Moses. It caused him to hide his face. That word holy jumps out at you and me too, and for good reason. God's holiness is that constant reminder that you and I cannot achieve spiritual security on our own. And God's holiness certainly includes his righteousness, but that's not all of it. It also includes his otherness. The distinction between creator and creature, the infinite gap between deity, God, humanity, us. You and I can't approach God on our own. We can't subject him to our scrutiny. The only way that we can have his security, the one that we need the most, is if he comes down to us. And yet when he comes down to us, just like with Moses, sometimes it doesn't seem like security. It seems like imminent danger. So as Moses is trying to process what's happening in front of him, God begins to tell Moses how he has processed his people's suffering. The Lord has seen it all. The cries, the groans, the whiplashes, all of it. As he details all the suffering his people Israel had gone through, He says something else. He says something that is just so jaw-dropping, and it was for Moses too. He says this, I have come down to rescue them. God lays out not only how he's saving them from something, namely slavery, but saving them to somewhere. It would have been a miracle in and of itself if God would have simply come down just to rescue them from slavery than allowing the Israelites to find where they're going to live on their own, but he doesn't do that. Because God does everything perfectly. He prepared them for that promised land where he would be with them in the midst of their people forever. You can just imagine Moses hearing this. This is his dream realized. 40 years in the making, smiling, nodding, just so excited to see God in action. But then God says something else that vanishes that smile from his face. So now go, Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses is stunned. And can you blame him? He looks at himself and he says, Lord, I'm not your guy. And he asks the question that every human being is asked, the question that drives us to try to find security, who am I? 
Have you ever thought about how that question and how you answer it dictates and affects every word and action and thought you have in life? When we feel sure of who we are, confidence naturally follows. When we feel happy about who we are, life can take on a different hue. When we feel confused about who we are, life can be a misguided mess. And if we think like victims, victims are who we remain. That question is important. Who am I? But it's not the most important question. In fact, the only way we can answer that question is by asking the biggest question of all that every person who has ever lived has had to answer. That question is, who is God? And our God, he doesn't remain aloof to this, even though, again, he's infinitely above us. But he doesn't say to you and me, okay, do your own independent spiritual research. He doesn't do that. Instead, he comes down to us. That he comes down to us through something as weak and feeble as human language. And that's exactly what he did with Moses. He speaks the word of God to him, and he describes himself for us. And this is how God described himself to Moses. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You know, it sounds rather impressive to hear God describe himself with those heroes of faith. But then when you know a little bit about each of those three, you know how deeply flawed they were. They were liars and tricksters, schemers, dreamers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yeah, heroes of faith, but sinners just like you and me. And yet God, in his grace, chose to have a personal relationship with each of them. The God of covenant love, using the word, spoke to them. The God of covenant love wants that same relationship with you. And so he's proud to be identified with sinners like us because he's washed away our sin. We can stand on holy ground with him. He's pleased to be known as our God forever in that identification. That's where our greatest security is found. We no longer try to figure ourselves out and outfit ourselves to be holy like God. No, we run to him like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did as the sinners we are. And we see his grace once again in full view. We see a God who through faith we can stand in holy ground, on holy ground with him. We've been reborn. Our identity has been answered. That question, we are baptized, forgiven, redeemed children of God. And then we come to this most amazing element of God's grace. His holiness. Now I know for most of us we don't think of it that way. We tend to think of God's holiness in an antagonistic sort of a way where we're not holy and God is, but his holiness is truly our saving grace. And here's why. All of us, we live in this unholy universe. We want something that's holy. We want a God who is perfect. We want a God who knows everything. We want a God who's perfectly just, perfectly loving, perfectly compassionate. We want a God who makes all things new. And we don't want him to ever change. It's that changeless Lord that we worship today. And that's the beauty of the name that he gives to Moses. The name that it makes you just stop dead in your tracks when you hear it. God says, I am who I am. A name that keeps as much hidden as it does reveal. But it's only in the hiddenness of God that we can approach him and be in his presence. It's the hiddenness of God 
that warms our hearts and illumines our minds and leads us to him. It's the hiddenness of God that's found at the foot of the cross where Jesus, he endured all those hellish flames we should have passed through, but he took them all on. And instead, just like Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 10, the cornerstone, the capstone that was rejected, the stone that was rejected has become the capstone. That rock of security is Jesus and he gives us that water of life that sustains us that empowers us. When you see Jesus as your only true rock, only true security, it's only there that you can know the answer of who we are. You know who you are because you know who God is. And that's the most amazing thing about the life calling is he's given you and me. We can have extreme confidence because we know who our God is and we know what he's done. We know his promises for us. Now I know that none of us have been called like Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt. But the life callings and vocations he's given you are just as significant, just as important, and equally daunting. I think it's incredible how God responds to Moses here. Moses, he's thinking about how inadequate he is, how this is an impossible calling for him to do, and God doesn't go about this by telling Moses all of his specs of why Moses is just the right man for the job. No, he doesn't go through qualifications. He goes to the one secure truth that gives Moses and you and me everything we need, whether we are talking about the calling of husband or wife, of mother or father, of grandma or grandpa, or retiree or engineer or soldier, church member, student, trainer, no matter what we face, no matter what callings God has given to us, we have the one truth that will bring us through them all. And this is what God said to Moses. He doesn't say, Moses, you're ready for this, no. He says, I will be with you. The most important thing for us to know isn't who we are. It's who God is. And his call to service for you in your life, it never it always comes with his promise of presence. So how can we not approach life with extreme confidence, not in our innate abilities, but in the changeless, personal, powerful presence of our Lord? So my dear family, approach him in reverence and confidence. Reject the world's notions of what life should be all about and what security is all about. Instead, find that secure place in your God alone. Run to your holy God, even with all our holes in our souls, he does make us whole, and he promises to do that. Don't look to the wayward securities of this life that are here today and gone tomorrow instead. Run to the rock that is Christ. Find in the hiddenness of God your ultimate assurance. See your God who bridged that gap that we could never cross. In fact, walk across the cross that brought us into God's presence. Stand on the foundation of Christ crucified and risen for you because it's that foundation where you'll find a security that will never be broken through. Amen. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.